is the only bank devoted exclusively to entrepreneurs. And we're committed to the success of women entrepreneurs and majority women-owned companies across Canada. As a proud partner of the Thrive Podcast, we're here to help you start, grow, or scale your business. Find out more at bdc.ca forward slash women today. Scotiabank is proud to co-present the Thrive Podcast for Women Entrepreneurs. Through the Scotiabank Women Initiative, Scotiabank aims to help advance women-led businesses with access to capital, education, and mentorship. To learn more, visit scotiabankwomeninitiative.com. listening to the Thrive Podcast on the Startup Canada Podcast Network, where we help women entrepreneurs to start and build thriving businesses. On the Thrive Podcast, we connect you with leading experts, entrepreneurs, and organizations that provide capital, mentorship, training, tools, and other support to help you make your vision a reality faster. This podcast is a production of Startup Canada, Canada's entrepreneurship organization, and is presented in partnership with the Business Development Bank of Canada and Scotiabank. I'm your host, Kayla Isabel, Executive Director at Startup Canada. Welcome to the show. We're thrilled to have Sally Ng on our show today. Sally has been around the startup community for quite a few years and has launched several entrepreneurship centers in Atlantic Canada and run multiple accelerator programs for tech, women, and Indigenous entrepreneurs. She's a global facilitator with Techstars Startup Weekend and has traveled the world facilitating events. She serves on the board of the Community Foundations of Canada and is also passionate about the social enterprise space. Me too, Sally. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. So after our conversation today, what's one thing that you want women entrepreneurs to take away? I think one piece I have is, um, and I kind of got this from facilitating a startup weekend women's edition a couple months ago in Toronto, that I noticed the women tend to overthink things a little bit. Mm. Um, like they always want the perfect, like the perfect instru instructions, like being really explicit with the next steps. Um, what I'd say is like for women entrepreneurs, it's like, don't overthink it. Um, it's like, have the next steps, but it doesn't have to be perfect. Like the, there's no perfect textbook or roadmap to be an entrepreneur. And so sometimes you need to just get up and do it. I love that. I love the quote, um, perfect is the enemy of the good. <laughs> that's yeah, sort of that's a, a sentiment quote. that I try to <laughs> try to remember sometimes. Um, and yeah, perfectionism being a really challenging thing to get over when you do want things to be exceptionally high quality, um, but that can kind of deter you sometimes from, from the end goal. Totally. Yeah. It's a lot more of a mind game than anything else For sure. when it comes to entrepreneurship. Okay, great. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, to weaving that into today's conversation. Um, so to kick things off, tell us a little bit about Highline Beta. Um, what inspired you to join that team? Yeah, so I joined Highline Beta um, quite a few months ago, I guess, earlier la last year. Uh, one of the things I was looking for after running my own company for about three years in a similar space is that you kind of get bored. And you're, I realized that my learning was capped at how well I can Google. And so the work that we do at Highline Beta is that we're a hybrid of a lot of the work that I've done in the past. So part of us is that we're a venture capital firm, but we also have a venture studio side, meaning that we deliver corporate innovation services with large companies like RBC, AB InBev, uh, American Insurance, Aviva, lots of other companies like that. So we're really at that intersection of the large corporates and startups, which is what I love. 
Fantastic. And um, how has everything that you have driven and built from the la- from your past led to um, to this role? What what were sort of the building blocks that brought you to Highline Beta? Yeah, that's kind of a, I guess, a loaded question in some way. Mm. Um, When I look back at my career the last decade in the tech scene, um, years ago I was working with an entrepreneur named Dan Martell at Clarity, and he asked me, he's like, what's missing in my life? And I told him at the time, I was like, I wanted to learn more about startup communities, and I wanted to witness and experience them. So he got me connected with Startup Weekend. Um, Then I got a chance to facilitate events in Shanghai, LA, Cincinnati, all over. When I look at those experiences, and I still work with the organization um, for fun when I can, I've kind of seen like the the next evolution of it is that I look at the world of corporates and that they have so much capital, but also power that's untapped. And then on the other side, you have all these startups that have the inability to scale, either because they don't have the connections, they don't know how they operate. Um, There's no one playing that matchmaker in that way. And so I kind of looked at kind of the evolution being even though most of my life has been focused on tech startups, I'm like, how do I start to bridge that with the rest of the world that is made up of large corporations? Some people might think that it's like the big bad evil, but I look at it as like unlocking some of that capital and potential Mm. to help for everyone. I love that. Yeah, unlocking obvious potential, I think, um, and, and making a natural partnership link. Um, that, that's fantastic. Um, so for our audience, if they've never participated in a startup weekend, so you mentioned your involvement with them, can you describe what a startup weekend is? Totally. Yeah. So there's more startup weekends around the world than there are Starbucks. <laughs> so I'll set that first. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's a lot of them. Oh, my um, gosh. And so it's a 54-hour event, and it's very much an experiential learning experience. So in the way that it's not, there's no perfect guidebook of how the evening runs, per se. Um, Usually, typically, like Friday night, people will come in with a pre-developed idea, meaning that they haven't worked on it for months and months. They have one minute to pitch pitch on it. And then after that, all the participants will actually vote on the ideas. So usually the ideas probably get whittled down to the top 10%, and then teams form organically. And they work on it all through the weekend. They do customer validation. They build out the business models. They interact with mentors that are there. And they get judged on Sunday. And so it's a really like, it's almost like a lot of the issues and challenges that you would face as an entrepreneur gets expedited within one weekend. Incredible. I love that. Yeah, the fast paced energy, the excitement, and then the kind of tangible outputs that you have at the very end that you could not have foreseen when you entered into it on Friday night. <laughs> exactly. And you meet friends. Like the, yeah. my favorite thing is like you walk away from that and you know 10 new people that you didn't know before. Mm, and what's the worst thing that's going to happen? You gave up a weekend. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Very short period of time. <laughs> I love that. Um, so looking at, uh, you know, from Startup Canada's perspective, we're really working this year on rallying entrepreneurs to drive impact, um, contribute to advancing the UN Sustainable Development Goals. We're doing a lot of work in that area this year. Um, how does your work drive sustainability, either from your involvement um, with uh, Startup Weekends, with your uh, involvement with Highline Beta? Um, how are you driving a more sustainable approach um, to doing business and and making social impact? Mm -hmm. So for me personally, I think everything that we do, like I don't like being involved in businesses that all we're trying to do is make money. Mm. (laughs) Like to me, I think that's very short-sighted. And if you're not, if you aren't part of the solution, my thoughts are then you're part of the problem in today's world. So I love the fact that you guys are pushing the, the SDGs with that. One of the coolest examples I'd say with Highline Beta is that we work with AB InBev. So they're, they're the largest brewing company in the world. And they realized that they couldn't solve the sustainable, sustainability problems on their own. 
So they created the 100 plus accelerator that we run with them. And so they've got very specific goals such as like circular packaging, water stewardship, and a couple other ones that they want to solve. But they can't do it alone. Therefore, they run an accelerator program or a commercialization program. And so we work with them to select some of the companies that will are ready to run pilots with them to solve those. So that's a super like amazing example that a corporation is doing. Mm-hmm. We're seeing more and more of that. Um, like I mentioned, I'm on the board for Community Foundations of Canada, mm-hmm. and the SDGs are huge, especially in the philanthropic space. And we're seeing um, when it comes to, let's say, where endowment funds are being kept. It's like, if you want to, let's say, donate money to a climate action group, that's great. But if your assets are actually going towards oil, is that good or bad? Is that okay? Mm. Um, So part of it is that I think everyone's under the microscope a little bit more. And so I always say to people, it's like, take a deeper look in terms of how you're creating that impact. And it can't just be what from one side, right? Like I, I need to live, breathe, mm-hmm. um, sustainability if I truly care about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, we've been having so many interesting conversations about what it means to be a social entrepreneur or a social enterprise or what we quantify as social impact. Um, and that conversation has been really interesting looking at the nonprofit and for-profit space. Um, and, and, and we're evolving that through different campaign modalities from Startup Canada and trying to showcase that social impact looks different for so many different businesses. So um, I think that's a really interesting space. What advice would you have for entrepreneurs that are looking to drive impact or create an organization um, that really focuses on social I'd impact? say, how do you want to have that impact? So I think back to, so I ran DigiLearn which I, and I saw a couple of different technology coaches out in New Brunswick um, that are coaching seniors on tech, on tech. And I looked at it as some people kind of said, well, Sally, you're just running like a service organization. You're just coaching people. And I'm like, yeah, at the basic level of it is totally. But the impact of what on that senior, when they start to understand how to use their iPhone or computer a little bit better, I think that impact is tenfold. Right. If it's like if it's a social aspect because they can better connect with the grandchildren or kids, that's the impact that I want. Right. Like it's not I'm not just selling them some sort of service so that they can buy more or I don't know, take more and spend more. It's that I want them to have um, a bigger connection with their family and friends. And so I don't think people sometimes don't think about what that end goal looks like. And so I try to uh, think about it that way. Um, It's like. It's even when you look at the SDGs, there's 17 goals and they're pretty big, lofty goals. And people think, oh, they're so general. But when you start to actually dive into the 169 targets, the 230 indicators, they get pretty specific. I'm like, we want to reduce inequalities on payment or like water, like pay within women, all like all of those aspects are pretty nitty gritty. Uh, Mm -hmm. People just don't take the time to actually read them all. Interesting. So there we go. Call to action right there. (laughs) Do a deeper dive as opposed to just looking at those 17 icons kind of being this high level direction. Um, There's so much more that we can drill into and then action from um, what's already been developed around the SDGs. Totally. Very cool. So um, looking at innovation um, and the idea of innovation, what does innovation mean to you? So I'd say some people would say innovation is like, oh, creating something new. I look at it as not just creating something new, but also finding a different use for it. Mm. So part of it is like, we need to think differently about things. Um, for example, when I, a lot of my time now is working with large corporations and they know that they're getting disrupted by startups mm. and it's sort of like, well, what do we do about it? 
um, if I pick on like AB InBev's example again, they know they can't do it alone. So it's finding those different partnerships to enable that, um, I think is awesome because a lot of other corporations would just kind of do it within themselves. Um, and some of them still are, and it's a cycle that they're on, um, but it's baby steps towards it. I look at it as like that they need to really think through, um, I guess everyone's going to have their own definition of innovation. They really need to think through, um, I'd say like that impact and that change that they want. My thing is to be careful that we're not just thinking of the bottom line, like just thinking about money when it comes to innovation. Um, because that's what people tend to do. It's like, well, my innovation is just going to bring in more money. Well, no, like if your innovation can reduce the amount of waste that you're producing or reuse that waste, I think that actually has a lot more impact than simply just making more money. Yeah, absolutely. And, and has that social good embedded into it that needs to be, um, yeah, I think it's sort of, uh, uh, not institutionalized, but it, it works, um, with the spirit of improving us all to have that mindset of social good and making an impact in more than that bottom line as human beings. I think we need to be more connected to that, uh, and, and build that into how we live our lives. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. So looking at, um, how you support large, large companies and in their innovation agenda, identifying how they're going to make an impact and change. Um, I know that you're a proponent of the concept of intrapreneurship. So they might, you might not be supporting entrepreneurs, um, but supporting intrapreneurship. What does that mean to you within your larger uh, organizations or companies that you're working with? Mm-hmm. So one of the big things I'll kind of note with is that not everyone has the opportunity to be an entrepreneur, right? Like for different circumstances, um, not everyone can just quit their job. Hey, start this thing from scratch. Um, and I don't think we need everyone to do that. Like I said before, it's a lot, we have all these large corporations with untapped resources internally. So I always think of entrepreneurship as a person working just like an entrepreneur, but with a large, within a larger organization, like a corporation. Mm-hmm. And so they could be incubating a new idea, a new company within, um, in some ways they have to some degree, depending on the company, they have a lot of the other resources like legal, like R&D, that an entrepreneur on their own don't necessarily have on day one. So now that you've worked with entrepreneurs um, within that space, have you seen a major difference between that entrepreneurial mindset and and those entrepreneurs that you've connected with? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it really depends. So in the past, when I ran multiple different accelerators, uh, a lot of times they were sometimes like younger, fresh grads, um, hadn't been around the block for too long. And we're always coaching them through like mindset skills and ideas. Now that we're in the cor- like corporate space, a lot of the individuals, they have the skills, they have the ideas, but their mindset needs to be shifted slightly, especially if they're someone that's worked in a corporation for years, um, because the exposure that they know is within just that one corp. And so we're always trying to stretch their thinking, give them examples of what other corporates are doing um, is, the, is the tricky part. Um, but realistically, when I look at it, they each have their different challenges, but we we just have to approach it slightly differently, but be aware of the, I guess, like risks that they also have to carry um, when they're within a corporation and how to work with their st- stakeholders within the corps. Mm-hmm. So what, what are the biggest challenges that, that you see that they face uh, in that sort of transition? The transition, um, like we have a couple clients where um, they've been with a corporation for, for years and now they have the opportunity to build something from scratch. Um, mm-hmm. One thing I'd say is sometimes they're not used to being scrappy. 
And so they mm-hmm. now have to start to build everything from scratch. And so they may not be aware of some of the tools that they have at their fingertips because they may be used to working with agencies um, to build some of those. And so some of it is really giving them the confidence that they have the ability to build and execute. Um, and so we're constantly trying to trying to coach them through that mindset and give them the confidence that they can deliver. Mm-hmm. And that must be a very humbling experience as well to say, oh, you know, I, I, I didn't realize that there were so many uh, moving parts or so much energy had to go into this one task because maybe it was always done for them or kind of that exercise, just being aware um, through the process of, of going through um, that, that new experience. I feel like that would be a really interesting kind of uh, eye-opening experience for sure. Yeah, exactly. They've never had the chance to kind of break down those, those no. projects or tasks into yeah. minor little ones. And so, yeah, it's always walking them through that. Very cool. So, so yeah, the, the lessons in being more scrappy, <laughs> totally. trying to get things done. Fantastic. Um, so if we look at um, the women entrepreneurs um, and how they are underrepresented, both as agile investors, VCs, um, and receiving equity financing, if we kind of shift our conversation that way, um, how has, how, how is Highline um, working to change this, both by leading by example, supporting the next gen of women-led companies? Uh, what is Highline doing to, to really support those groups? Yeah, like it's a one of the toughest things I think in the industry is looking at the lack of looking at the lack of diversity, and so we have female funders under our umbrella at Highline Beta, and so female funders is an education platform. So we know that we have we only have seven percent of deal making VCs are women, and only two seven percent of deal making VCs. Wow. Yeah, and we're lucky enough that one of our three partners, Lauren Robinson, um, we've got her on our team. And so she's amazing. She's based in Vancouver. She's the executive director for female funders as well. Um, and the crazy thing is I've been involved with CEO for the last couple of years as well. And it's, I think the stats are about, it's like 2% or 2.5% of uh, funding goes to women CEOs. It's so small. Oh, yeah. Gosh, wow. And like you think of that and it's like, how is that still happening in mm-hmm. 2020? Right. Mm-hmm. So our big goal with female funders is to increase the number of women at the decision-making table by providing them with training, access to investment opportunities, and also provide them with a community. And so we've had senior executives from like, um, from top companies to doctors, to dentists, to entrepreneurs that have been taking the program. And so we've got a lot of other exciting uh, news coming out with that as well, but it's all about increasing the diversity because I think that's going to help everyone across the board. Mm. And, and do you see that being a short-term um, goal that, that could be accomplished, or do you see this being a, a longer-term game? I think we've had a number of conversations on the Thrive Podcast about, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to invest in the future of, of women-led companies and, and building, you know, this mindset for young women that they can be entrepreneurs. Uh, but what is happening tomorrow? What do we actually have control with, um, you know, immediately and that we can see immediate return um, on, on immediate action on? I think one of the biggest things is that we know women have money and we know there's wealthy individuals that sit on capital, but they just don't know how to invest. So some of them just have never considered being an angel investor before. Mm-hmm. And, and ultimately women and men are different. <laughs> we learn differently. The environments that we want to be in are completely different. And so I would say like the short term goal, like the impatient side of me is if you are a female, if you're a female and you are interested in the investing landscape, I'd be like, try, try your hand at your first angel investment. There's so many different resources. If it's female funders or others that you can get yourself educated and on board with um, to get you in that world. So because mm. like, obviously we're putting money in RSPs or TSFAs or whatever else. If you have money, 
putting 5,000 or 10,000 into an entrepreneur in their business, I guarantee will have a lot of impact. Yeah, that's a great, a great call to action. There we go. <laughs> that's, that's step number one. Fantastic. Um, and so when we look at um, you being a pioneer also on the East Coast startup ecosystem, if we look regionally at this type of support that you've been providing, um, what more do you think we need to do as a region and as a nation to really bring Canadian entrepreneurship to the next level? Um, outside of, of focusing on women and supporting women-led businesses, what about regionally? What work do we need to do in that space? I think regionally, like I am, like my heart is in Atlanta, Canada. <laughs> like mm. I grew up in New Brunswick, all pretty much all of my life. Um, one thing I noticed in Atlanta, Canada, is that people need to think bigger and mm. like look at the world in a global context. It's that because at the end of the day, it's like doesn't matter if you're selling like your sales funnel or if it's sustainability goals. We are in a global world, and people forget that. So I'd say like stop thinking about selling it to the guy across the street think bigger than that and not be afraid to jump on a plane like one of my biggest things and it doesn't matter if you're in Canada or wherever um, when I think of early in my career my thing was that I, f- I felt like I wasn't learning fast enough and there's only so many podcasts or books that you can read and so my best way of learning was like literally plopping on a plane going to San Francisco going to Shanghai I'd reach out to the other entrepreneurship centers because I wanted to see what was driving their communities and so not being afraid to do that and pick up the phone. I know that sounds simple, but the people that like don't don't like that are scared to do it, right? And I don't mean like just send a random LinkedIn messages, like lots mm. of entrepreneurs do that and it drives me nuts. <laughs> have some context, right? Like don't just reach out to someone and say, Hey, I want to have a coffee. Mm. Why? <laughs> like yeah. give them the reason yeah. why so that you're not getting ignored. Um, that's the big thing I would say. Yeah. And that you value their time, for sure. That being an exchange that needs to be valuable on both ends. Um, yeah. I, I think that's so interesting, the idea of hopping on a plane, that we, we all, I, often we think um, to go internationally or look at our American counterparts or um, focusing on, on a, you know, grabbing your passport and going on a plane. But we can learn so much also cross-provincially, that there's so much innovation um, and, you know, happen, there are things happening in the entrepreneurial space across different provinces that I don't think we're leveraging um, enough. We're not having conversations with our next door neighbors um, before you know we go down to San Francisco or we go internationally what's your sense of um, how we can build a better national entrepreneurship ecosystem yeah that's a great question one thing I don't think we've done enough on is like I've been fortunate enough to be part of a couple peer groups when it comes to um, businesses like within the same industry we do that locally <laughs> like like there's a couple entrepreneurship centers that do but I'm like it's like we've got Zoom, we've got Skype, we've got all of these tools at our fingertips. It shouldn't be that hard to create this national peer groups. And I don't mean like a peer group of 100 people, but small pods of like eight people of entrepreneurs working in the same industry, different stages. I, maybe they're not competitors, maybe they are, um, but that get to bounce questions and challenges with each other. I think that would be awesome if someone started that. Um, a lot that. of times people do it more on a casual level, like through friends. But I think having someone to kind of stick handle that is totally possible. 
Yeah, yeah, and and from Startup Canada's perspective, so we have our startup communities program that is across Canada, not necessarily by industry, but trying to connect entrepreneurs. Uh, and I think that the value and and the light lift of you know we have all these technology platforms that can connect us face to face, you know, maybe through a computer, uh, but to have those conversations and have a safe you know um, conversation with somebody to bounce ideas off of, or you know, identify challenges that you might be facing in rural um, Alberta that is also being felt in rural New Brunswick, that there are opportunities to have these conversations um, that doesn't necessarily require a plane ticket, uh, but that I agree, we're not leveraging enough of that um, across Canada. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. So when when you think of Highline Beta uh, and the types of resources it can provide our audience um, today, what would be the top three things that Highline Beta could support um, our listeners with? Yeah, so I'd say number one, like we are a venture capital firm, mm-hmm. but we won't invest in a company unless there's some sort of added value with one of our corporate partners. And so um, big part is like we work with AB InBev on their 100 plus accelerator. We just launched uh, Aviva's like safe and connected communities. We've got RBC Reach. We've got a number of these programs where corporates are coming to us and saying, hey, I want to source companies that solve X. Can you help us find them? And so I'd say keep those on your radar as well. Um, I've had a number of different entrepreneurs reach out, but I put the caveat or the asterisks on, make sure you know what the corporates are looking for. Right? Some people just be like, oh, I want AB InBev. But then I, when I look at what the startup does, they're not, they don't, they're, there's no alignment there. And so they've got to do their homework in that respect. Um, but we definitely, like, we, have, we want to see more companies. We can invest in companies from wherever. So that's one big thing. I would say the other piece is the female funders because entrepreneurs come in all shape and sizes. Like I mentioned earlier, if you are that successful entrepreneur and you're figuring out how can I have more impact and give back to me, it's, Hey, consider investing. And if you want to do it in an educated way, then find the resources that can help you. And so female funders, I think is a great start for a lot of um, potential like new incoming angel investors. Okay, great. So um, in terms of getting engaged with the Community Foundations of Canada, so you're serving on the board, as you mentioned, um, what's a great way for our entrepreneurial community to get engaged with the Community Foundations of Canada? Yeah, so I've been involved with them for almost six years uh, now. Um, There's a number of different ways. People often think that when you get involved with a community foundation, it's specifically just for like donations or receiving funds. But we have a really exciting partnership with the federal government called the Investment Readiness Program. And so for the first time, not only can organizations apply for funding, but it's available for charities, not-for-profits, and for-profits companies. And they could receive from $10,000 to $100,000 in non-repayable capital. So that's super exciting. It's available coast to coast. We have a number of community foundations um, that are partnered with us in terms of being able to ramp that up. And there's uh, multiple different timelines for applications. So definitely, if you Google Investment Readiness Program and Community Foundations of Canada, you'll see the page with all the questions and um, answers. Fantastic. Yes. And we're actually uh, activated as a knowledge mobilizer for the Investment Readiness Program. So check out Startup Canada um, on our website. We're going to be spotlighting a number of different entrepreneurs that are contributing to the Sustainable Development Goals. um, And we'll be doing a series of community mixers across Canada that um, brings the social finance, social innovation, um, and and looking at social enterprises to life uh, through a set of community mixers, too. So lots of exciting partnerships there. Thank you guys for partnering with us on that. Fantastic. And what would be the first step um, via website um, connecting with female founders? Yeah, female funders is just femalefunders.com and then highlinebeta.com. 
And so we've got our applications and list of the accelerators there. Fantastic. So that's the best, best place to connect. Exactly. Wonderful. Great. So if you can think of one final piece of advice that you'd like to leave our listeners with today, what would that be? Yeah. So I'd say out of all the programs I've ever run, and I guess this comes from personal experience too, that's really helped me is create your personal board of advisors. So a lot of times people, you're like, oh, I like this one person. I'm just going to go to that one person for everything. Like no one person is the expert whatsoever. And so I know for me personally, it's that, okay, when I have, let's say financial questions, I ask this person. I have marketing questions, I ask this person. Like I've got those individuals that I have in my, I guess, periphery that I can reach out to um, and actively build it. Uh, and so that's what I'd say is, is probably the most tangible thing for people to do. And they, and you really do have to work on it. Like I have a page in the back of my notebook that has Toronto or Vancouver or Calgary. And I have a list of people underneath those cities so that when I do happen to be in those cities, I will actively go and reach out. Um, yeah. And even for like my birthday a couple years ago, for my 30th birthday, I, yeah, instead of doing like a whatever random birthday party, I invited the 30 people that had the most impact on my career and cooked them dinner. And the, Oh my gosh, I love that. Yeah. And, <laughs> wow. And they got to meet each other because they were all they were all wow. from the tech startup scene. Like some of them were from Air Cadets, some of them were for like my volunteering, and they really enjoyed meeting each other. So Wow. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And, and yeah, I love that. Uh, having your own personal board of directors or, you know, having this mentor group um, that you assemble and you kind of curate. Um, for me, what uh, adding another level of that is I love introducing um, other industry perspectives. So I've learned, you know, from entrepreneurs who are working in the trades or working in, in industries that aren't directly connected to what I'm focusing on necessarily, but that bring a diversity of thought or a totally different perspective that it's, it's kind of apples and oranges a little bit, but you can still use a little bit of orange zest totally. in your apple kind of salad. Yeah. Um, so I would add even that extra exactly. level um, that it doesn't have to be people that are doing the exact same that you, the same thing or have the same aspirations as you. Um, that diversity of thought can also be really helpful. Totally. And that's what I love the most. Like in the work that I do now, it's that we get that diversity, right? Because we're a VC fund. So yes, you're in tech, but the industries yeah. could be insurance to fintech, to food, to like to beer, to everything in between. So that's the part that I love. And it's almost like... It's like, if you can get that in your life, awesome. <laughs> it's like, you need that. Yeah, it's like the Avengers of, of mentorship. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Fantastic. And then you can bring them all to dinner and have a, a fantastic top 30 uh, for every milestone birthday. I love that. <laughs> I will definitely be doing that. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Sally, for joining us today on the Tribe Podcast. No problem. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you for joining us this week on the Thrive Podcast, where we help women entrepreneurs to start and build thriving businesses. Thank you to the Startup Canada production team, BDC, and Scotiabank for helping us to power women entrepreneurs. Visit startupcan.ca forward slash women to download the playbook Resources for Women Entrepreneurs with a comprehensive list of support for you and your business. Visit startupcan.ca for the latest episodes of the Startup Canada podcast hosted by Matthew Curtis and plug in to the Startup Canada network. Until next time, I'm Kayla Isabel. It's time to thrive.